In our modern culture, a lot of people define love as accepting everything that everybody says. Love is accepting all practices and beliefs. Hate is disapproving of any practices and beliefs. But love is washing. Real love is engaging with somebody, not just saying everything's fine, everything's fine, you're just fine. Real love is to look at somebody and get a vision for where they should go and what they should be. Get a vision of their cleanliness. Get a vision of what they would be like if you got all the barnacles off, if you got all of the dirt off, if you got all the infection off. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we'll continue our study with the late Timothy Keller as we're talking about how Jesus washed the feet of the disciples and what it teaches us about how to love our enemies. Stay tuned for that message, but first we're joined once again by Jamie Dunlop as we talk about how to love those people that drive us crazy even when we feel that our position is sound and right. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. The past four years have presented an, a really unprecedented amount of time of, of conflict within our world, especially when it comes to our Christian faith in the world at large. There just seems to be a growing swell of dissonance with Christianity and seeing Christianity as the problem in society. We are in for a great deal of hostility and persecution in the days ahead. I think that's undeniable at this point. But what is more troubling, at least to me, is the sort of fractures and discord that is taking place within the Christian community. People who uh, claim to be followers of Christ that are attacking other Christians uh, for a variety of issues. What is very clear, whether the issues are black and white or right and wrong, what is very clear is that the ends do not justify the means. There is so much vitriol, so much hatred, and so much violence within the Christian community that it is not characteristic of what Jesus teaches us in the Gospels on how to deal with this, to love our enemies, and to bless those who curse us. There's a lot that we can learn in this process. But one of the things that we see in the book of Romans is that the arguments that are being used on both sides to to argue for their position over the other position are often problems that we face even today. And we're joined by author Jamie Dunlop, who's written a book called Love the Ones Who Drive You Crazy, Eight Truths from the Book of Romans for Pursuing Unity in Your Church. And Jamie, there are issues that I think are very present day where the argument is, why not err on the side of safety? So choose this really high standard and uh, you'll be safe. And if you don't, then you're clearly in the wrong, you're in the weeds and, and there's that level of conflict. And on the other extreme, there is this absolute desire to to love and be accepting of everybody and claim to be more like Christ. But really, it is losing the distinction of truth. Uh, really what we're seeing in our culture today is not that much different from what we were seeing in, in the book of Romans. Yeah, you're right. In the New Testament and today. Absolutely. And I think Paul is is saying, look, when Jesus came, a lot of stuff changed uh, because he fulfilled the Old Testament regulations for us. But not everybody understood it. People were still, I think, trying to kind of piece that together. And he preached a great deal of love and tolerance for those who were maybe a little bit behind and not quite understanding all the radical implications the gospel have for their lives. Same is true today. Hmm. Uh, there are people in your church who are still working out the pieces. They haven't connected the dots. And as a result, they probably are making foolish decisions 
they may well be uh, more aligned with the world than they realize they are. And, uh, and yet they really are Christians and they do intend to follow Christ. And I think Paul's advice for us today would be, look, in those secondary matters, love is most important. Unity is most important. doesn't mean you can't talk about these things, but you're talking about them as with a brother or a sister, not talking about them as with an opponent. Yeah. I, you mentioned uh, a hot topic word, tolerance, right? That That's mm-hmm. what you were saying before is an issue that uh, can can bring in a lot of baggage for people because we don't want to uh, allow wolves with sheep's clothing. Like We don't want to allow to, that slippery slope. And so those people that are holding to the line see a threat, an imminent threat that others might not see. So where do they draw the line and, and not speak up against the truth for the sake of love? Yeah. Uh, I, I think the simple message I have to someone asking that question is, ask the pastors of your church. Because every church is going to draw those lines in different ways. You know, I, I just I think about in, in uh, World War II Germany, where the confessing church eventually came to the conclusion that we, we cannot in any way cooperate with this government. Those churches came to that conclusion at different stages along the way. And uh, in the same way, as our culture gets increasingly secular and uh, we are having more and more differences with each other about what it looks like to navigate a secular culture, different churches are making different decisions about sort of what's on which side of that line. And we are not Lone Ranger Christians. We are under the authority of a church. And so what I'm wondering is what this person's doing across that line of biblical fidelity or inside the Romans 14 line where I need to continue to love them even though we disagree, ask your pastors. Uh, And you might find that your church is drawing that line in a way that you're uncomfortable with, which is a lead to other conversations. Uh, But we never make those decisions by ourselves. Uh, Just because your favorite talk show host, you know, condemned a certain social position doesn't mean you go out and immediately start condemning the people in church who hold that position. You talk to your pastors first. Yeah, this is definitely something that a lot of pastors have had to navigate, but I also know a lot of pastors who have grown tired of being sort of the referee in the ring. Mm. Um, So Mm. any advice to how to handle that? Because pastors are getting inundated with questions, and maybe pastors have never even considered these where to draw these lines in the sand. It's a great question. I think the first thing I would do is just encourage those brothers uh, that— Like I said earlier, the fact that you're having all these questions, that there is so much diversity on these questions in your church, may well be a sign not that things have gone tragically wrong, but they've gone gloriously right. Uh, It means that you really have been preaching Christ and Christ alone, and you've built this church on Christ and Christ alone. That's a beautiful thing. And here's on this side of heaven, the inevitable result of that. So I would just want to encourage them and say, keep going. Keep focusing on Christ, and these are the questions they're going to have as a result. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, Paul does this in Romans 15 after he goes through that long passage in Romans 14 about all these differences of conscience. He says this, he says what he prays, he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, you Jew-Gentile churches in Rome, to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Mm. In other words, I want you through your life together, through your harmony together, to demonstrate that being in accord with Christ Jesus is all we need to have such harmony so that God can gain the glory. 
Uh, I think just like Paul, God gains more glory through redemption, through saving us from our sin than merely by creating us by itself. There is more glory to God of a church that unites on Christ despite great difference than if they all agreed on the same thing in the first place. And so you want to give your congregation that vision for the beauty and the glory that Christ gets from a church that frankly is divided and yet he's united in Christ. And so as a pastor, I'm often reminding people, yes, that's an important disagreement, but your brothers in Christ or your sisters in Christ, and that is more important, that we need to major on what's most important and minor on the minor issues. I love what you're emphasizing in the book, and I see that throughout the epistles, especially with so much being written on bringing these two factions together to love each other and to get to get along with each other. And it's not just the Jew-Gentile split. There's is- many issues, I'm sure, that they were dealing oh, with in the early poor, church. Rich and poor, slave and free. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, right? yeah. uh, but with that same context, I love how Paul, especially in Ephesians, it's most obvious, I think, there, when Paul t- always brings it back to the gospel, so husbands and wives, a clear line where there might have division, he tells husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. He tells the wives to honor their husbands as though they're honoring uh, Christ. That that requires the gospel to be front and center in that conflict, in that relationship. Yeah, and that's right where Paul begins in Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice. And we keep reading. We see, okay, what he means by living sacrifice is the sacrifice of love between Jew and Gentile. If you don't have the gospel, you cannot do this. And that's kind of the whole point, right? If I can just white knuckle my way through and be really nice to everybody, that says a lot about my moral virtue. It says very little about the power of the gospel. And so that's why he says he appeals to us by the mercies of God. If you do not understand deep down that you are a sinner who deserved an eternity in hell and were saved not because of anything you did that was good, but because Christ had mercy on you and paid for your sin at the cross, you do not have the power to love the way Paul tells you to love. And yet, if you do grasp how bad you were and the mercy that Christ has lavished on you, that comes with it a power to love that goes beyond your own strength. And so we need to be honest about our sin. We need to be honest about the reality of hell. If you, if you deny the consequences our sin deserved, then you minimize the forgiveness we've received in Christ. And, and frankly, you, you compromise the love you have for other believers. But if you're serious about your sin, you're serious about the consequences you deserved, that means you're going to be serious about Christ's forgiveness, you're going to be serious about His mercy, and you're going to be serious in your love. We've been talking with Jamie Dunlop. His book is called Love the Ones Who Drive You Crazy. Eight principles from the book of Romans that will help you to deal with conflict, people that you don't necessarily want to get along with, but showing you how to love your enemies and bless those who curse you. You can find out more information about his book by giving us a call. It's 508-362-7070. That's 508-362-7070. Now, all week long, as we've been looking at the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, including and actually highlighting the fact that he washed Judas's feet, the betrayer's feet, I think it's important to see how both of these conversations are going side by side our conversation with Jamie, and this great message from Timothy Keller, because what we are learning in this is that it is possible 
to love your enemies. It is it is possible to actually be kind to the people that you disagree with. It is actually okay to wash the feet of sinners because that is what Jesus did and that is what we are called to do as well. This does not, however, mean that we should compromise on our message. This does not mean that we should affirm sin and approve of sin. Jesus never did that. Washing feet is not the same thing as approving of people. And we need to make sure that is very clear. But in fact, true love casts out all of that dispersion and it focuses on communicating the truth uh, that people actually need to hear. But we need to communicate the truth in love. Here is the late Timothy Keller with a closer look at the story here in John chapter 13. Number three, we see the importance of the fruit of the Spirit. Secondly, we see the unity of the fruit of the Spirit. Thirdly, we see the nature of the fruit of love. Now, what's the nature? When I first thought about preaching this sermon and I thought of the title, I said to myself, how dare I do this? How in the world, how could any, why would, why would a couple thousand people come to listen to somebody speak on love? How are you going to say anything new about love? How are you going to say anything that's not trivial? Well, I, as far as I can tell, I'm, I'm not going to avoid that. I'm going to probably say things that are trivial and trite, but here's what I can do. My confidence today is, on the last night in which Jesus Christ was here on the earth, when he wanted to show his disciples something, something concrete as a way for them to always remember what love is, he washed feet. And if you spend the rest of your life meditating on that, I think that is your biggest and my biggest hope for ever succeeding in understanding what love is. This is the bottom line. This is, this is it. This is the end of the line. This is, Jesus says, I want to show you what love is all about. I want to show you what I'm all about. I want to show you what you're supposed to be all about. I want to show you love. Love. And what does he do? Of all the illustrations he could use, of all the things that he washes feet, and it's all there. And I'll just, let me just show you a couple of things. Let me just show you a couple of things. Washing feet. Love is washing feet. Number one, that means washing feet. Let me give you two things that it's not. It's not just tolerance. It's not just tolerance. In our modern culture, a lot of people define love as accepting everything that everybody says. Love is accepting all practices and beliefs. Hate is disapproving of any practices and beliefs. But love is washing. Real love is engaging with somebody, not just saying everything's fine, everything's fine, you're just fine. Real love is to look at somebody and get a vision for where they should go and what they should be. Get a vision of their cleanliness. Get a vision of what they would be like if you got all the barnacles off, if you got all of the dirt off, if you got all the infection off. You know, feet in those days were wounded. They were scraped. They were, they were, they were cut. Feet in those days probably, you know, would have, of course, I mean, they were not just dirty. And love is washing. Love means you get involved. You know, my favorite, still my, one of my favorite quotes is that great place where, uh, actually she's, she's talking about something else. And Becky Pippard in her book, uh, she's trying to defend why God's wrath, but I, and, uh, and yet, listen, how, how appropriate this uh, quote is for now. She says, she's talking about the fact that the more she loves somebody, the angrier she gets with them when they're doing something that hurts them. It says, if I see somebody hurting themselves and I don't love them that much, and I don't know them that much, I'm tolerant. Now think about this. The less I love somebody, the more tolerant I am if I see them doing things that seem to be hurting themselves. But the more I love somebody, the less tolerant I am. And this is what she says. She says, I want to shake them. I want to say, can't you see? Don't you know that what you're doing to yourself? You're becoming less and less yourself every time I see you. I'm not angry because I hate them. I'm angry because I love them. If I hadn't loved them, I'd walk away. The real love stands against deception. Real love stands against lies that destroy. 
And then she quotes, E.H. Gifford wrote, Human love offers a true analogy. The more a father loves his son, the more he hates in his son the drunk, the liar, and the traitor. And then Becky goes on, Anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is, and the final form of hate is indifference. Love is washing. Love is being involved, if a person will let you, involved enough to say, please let me help you become everything that you're designed to be. Secondly, so love is washing. See, it's not just tolerance. Secondly, love is washing feet, and therefore it's not just romance. Now, the second major counterfeit, uh, it's not exactly a counterfeit, because you see, when I say, is tolerance a counterfeit for love? Of course, real love will be very open and very welcome, but mere tolerance is a counterfeit of love. Lo mere tolerance, just saying everybody's fine. No, real love is engagement, it's washing feet. But the other basic counterfeit or red herring in our culture is not tolerance, but romance. We think of love as being attracted. I'm in love, I love a person when I'm attracted to you. I love you when, now you see, romantic love is attracted to you physically, but that's not the only kind of romanticized love I'm talking about. I love this person because I'm attracted to their success. I'm attracted to their, their personality. I'm attracted to their mind. I'm attracted to how sharp they are. I'm attracted to these people because they're attractive people. And a lot of us say that's what love is. But Jesus Christ says love is washing feet. Now you know what? All the surveys, all the research, when you ask any, across the board, when you ask people what is the most unsightly part of your body, they say it's feet. When you go along and you're not looking at the faces and you're not looking at the shapes and you're not looking at the figure, you're looking at the feet. There's not much difference. Not only is there not much difference, but it's not the place where, that, that's not the attractive part, okay? Jesus, why would Jesus wash feet? Because he's trying to get across that the essence of love is service and it's an action. It's not a feeling of attraction. In fact, to put it this way, in the world, there is something that people call love is really hunger. It's hunger. Hunger says, I love you, which means you make me feel good about myself. You fill me up. You make me feel like I'm significant. I want to own you. I want to have you. I want you to make me feel like a real individual. I want you to help me become myself. But real love, that's hunger. Think about this. If you go up to a beautiful fruit tree and you're absolutely full, absolutely full, you go to a beautiful fruit tree, and you see, what do you, how do you enjoy it? You say, look at it, it's beautiful. You might throw, take some cobwebs off, anything that's sort of, uh, you know, take off a coal, an old dead leaf, anything that detracts from its beauty. What, what, how are you appreciating it for what it is in itself? But if you come in front of a beautiful fruit tree and you are ravenously hungry, yay, verily, you are dying of starvation, you are very attracted to the fruit tree in a completely different way. You don't care. Oh, I love that fruit tree. I'll strip it, I'll rip it. I'll break it. I don't care. I, because you see, I don't love it for itself. I love it as a commodity. I love it for what it's going to do for me. Now, Jesus says, love is washing feet. Love is out of the fullness in your heart and your life, serving people in spite of their attractiveness. When people say, I'm attracted, you know what always that means? You make me feel good about myself when I'm with you. The language of hunger is... I love you, I want to own you, I want to devour you, I want to eat you, I want you in me to deal with my emptiness. And the language of love is, not that I want you to make me into an individual, that's hunger, but the language of love is, how do I make you into an individual? How do I fill you up? How do I adorn you? How do I pull the cobwebs off? How do, how do, I, how do I help you grow? Washing feet. Washing feet is not tolerance, it's engagement. It's washing feet. Washing feet is service. 
Now how in the world are we going to get to there? That's what love is. Love is, oh, does love have no feelings? I tell you, if you're willing to move out toward people without discrimination on the basis not of what they can give you, but on who they are, as value, just their value as people, and, and if you go after them and you say how, how, you know, in a sense, foot washing means I am humbly, indiscriminately, gently, because foot washing is very gentle, but sometimes painful, depending on how beat up the feet are. How can I gently, though, risk pain, humbly, indiscriminately, be committed to your radiance, be committed to your cleanliness, to be committed to your glory? How can I do that? That's the language of love. All right, all right. I've had a few hot takes so far this week in our broadcast talking about Jesus uh, washing the feet of his disciples. And even uh, earlier on on Monday, I think I made a comment about that commercial uh, from the Super Bowl, the He Gets Us commercial ad that uh, really was controversial for a lot of people. And if you have any problems with any of my hot takes, any of my uh, personal points of view on this issue, you can send all of your complaints into our complaint department. Department. It is at uh, uh, P.O. Box White House, Washington, D.C., Washington, and I'm sure that they will get back to you with all of uh, your complaints. They are so efficient there. Uh, but to be quite frank and to be quite honest, I have one more hot take for you today, and that is that Jesus washing the disciples' feet is not the gospel. You're probably shocked that you even hear me say that, but let me explain. Let me clarify what I'm trying to say here. Jesus washing the feet of the disciples is not the good news that saves lives. Washing people's feet is not restorative. It is not redemptive. It does not get somebody into heaven. In fact, we can see that in the story and the narrative that Peter is having with Jesus saying, I don't need my feet washed. And Jesus says, "You, if you don't get your feet washed, you have no part in me. There's a whole lesson in all of that. But uh, Peter says, then then wash my, my head and my whole body, wash all of me. And Jesus says, you don't actually need to be all washed, just your feet, because you are already clean. What Jesus is essentially saying here, and what Jesus is demonstrating, that this is a fruit of the gospel. It is not the gospel in itself. We need to make sure that we are clear that washing feet is not the end and the do-all, because I know a lot of groups out there that care a great deal about unity, but at what cost, right? They want to compromise the message of the gospel. And in many cases, to be united with the world today, uh, the the ad that was on the Super Bowl there, right? What they did not teach you is that, in fact, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, but he also died on the cross for our sins. And unless we repent of our sins, turn from our evil ways, then those people who had their feet washed in those various scenarios will still end up like Judas, who betrayed Jesus and was punished for his sins. So we need to be very clear to understand that foot washing is not the gospel. But without foot washing, people will not hear the gospel. Just like the disciples, they needed to have Jesus wash their feet because they needed to see the humility and the the self-denial and the, the love and the devotion that Jesus has for his disciples. 
that motivated him to go to the cross. That's the gospel. The gospel is going to the cross, but they needed to see it. This is an illustration. This is a foretaste. This is a a proclamation of what they have to look forward to as Jesus is about to die for the sins of the world. Now, you like my hot takes, you don't like my hot takes, you can send all of your complaints to the address I gave you earlier. But if you have something positive to say, and you'd like to support the work that we're doing here at Songtime, then write to us at our compliments uh, mailbox. It's P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or you can give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com, or you can look us up on social media. Don't forget to tune in again tomorrow as we continue to unpack how Jesus really overturns our understanding of love by demonstrating his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You can't put yourself in other people's places. You can't live by the golden rule. You can't do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You can't put yourself in their place. Therefore, I have come and put myself in your place. Only if you're completely freed by the fullness of what Jesus has done for you, will you be able to give real love. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, John 13, 34-35. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus said, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another.